Living a life of intention starts within. Dora and I are excited to help you find the path to co-mindfulness living through our co-mindfulness masterclass. Our seven co-mindfulness principles will take you on a remarkable path towards health and happiness. For more information and to sign up for the masterclass, visit comindfulnessproject.com. This episode of Health Gig is part of the Evolution series powered by Paragon. We are working with Paragon Performance Evolution to bring you a special series of incredible speakers which have been hand-selected from their network to be our guests on Health Gig. Paragon works with companies to bring in authors and thought leaders who can help implement hands-on programs which focus on transformation, integration, and greater awareness. They blend the best of modern science, human behavior, and timeless wisdom into all of their programs, which is why we are so supportive of the work they are doing in this world. We are thrilled to be collaborating with Paragon Performance Evolution for this very special series and so happy to bring these conversations to you. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Our guest today on Health Gig is Ed Morales, and we are thrilled to have him with us today. He is the peer support and wellness manager at the Gilbert Police Department in Arizona. And this is so fascinating. The Gilbert Police Department has taken on an innovative approach to ensure officers and support staff are mentally ready for their shifts. They have a new meditation room, a therapy dog, and heart rate variability tools are all part of this peer support program that's taking wellness in public safety to the next level. And our guest, Ed Morales, is at the helm of that. We can't wait for you to meet Ed today. And we just found our conversation with him remarkable. So welcome, Ed, to Health Gig. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the invite. So, Ed, let's just start at the beginning and take us through to where you are today. I just grew up like any other kid. I had an interest in horses, and luckily, my family had horses, so I grew up around horses. And after high school, I went to college at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff and got my degree in forestry with an interest in working in range management. So, I actually Worked on one of the largest cattle ranches in Arizona. Did that for a while and then got a bug to do something different and decided to join the United States Marine Corps. I spent one tour enlisted and because I had my college degree, I was accepted into the enlisted commissioning program and did my last tour as an officer. After getting out, I was kind of trying to figure out what to do for a short time. I ran my own business as a professional horseshoer and then became a police officer. And so I've been a police officer for about the past 18 years. And a part of that time, I was with our department SWAT team. I worked undercover. I worked as a school resource officer for a while, and of course, patrol for quite a while. And in the course of that, kind of facing the usual job stresses and whatnot, I ended up in one of those positions that I think a lot of police officers, a lot of first responders find themselves in managing stress and trauma and things like that and kind of started dedicating my life to wellness and figuring out how I could improve not only my condition, but overall fulfillment and started a really long path of martial arts meditation, really looking into a lot of out of the ordinary ways to improve my well-being. And eventually that led me to looking into how could I share what I've learned with other police officers, with other first responders? So on the recommendation of some close friends and family, I pursued a master's degree in social work. And so 
what I tried to do is take the principles of what I've learned and put them into a container that are achievable for the average first responder as far as how to manage stress, anxiety, and trauma that you face on the job. Do you love what you do? Absolutely. I was telling someone the other day, like I chose a life of service. And so financially, I'm very middle class, but as far as spirit, I'm wealthy. So Ed, tell us what programs you've implemented at the Gilbert Police Department. I was in the right place at the right time. And so we had a transition of administration and we got a new chief and they started kind of building out our department to fit the size of our community. And the department that they came from had a very active peer support and wellness program. And so that was one of their priorities was to establish a program here in Gilbert. And I was about halfway through my master's program at the time. And they were looking at creating a full-time position because in the past it was run as a collateral duty. And so I expressed my interest and they opened up the position and they gave me quite a bit of autonomy to be creative and try to develop the program to be very progressive and really looked at as a top program within the police industry. And so what I realized was after years and years of police work, I had a lot of good information coming my way, but a lot of it, I, maybe I resisted because it was kind of this idea of who are you to tell me what's good for me, right? And <laughs> I think that's one of the things that you develop as a police officer is a kind of a suspicious way of thinking, <laughs> you know? And so I knew that I didn't want to try to push things on people, but really try to make it their idea. And so I went around informally asking people if there's one thing I could do right now to change the mood, the feeling of this place, what would that be? And the number one answer I got back was a therapy dog program. And so I did some research and I found a lot of peer-reviewed studies that showed that the presence of dogs will lower cortisol production, improve stress reactivity, things like that. And so I put a proposal together and the administration was in support of it. And we identified a trainer and selected a dog from a rescue and had the dog train specifically to do this job. Is that Cora? Yeah, that's Cora. And for our listeners, we will have pictures of Cora so you can see her. How is that program? It's been wonderful. You know, with my history as a SWAT officer and a former Marine, people react to me a certain way. And within the police community, I think there's these natural barriers. And so those don't exist with a dog. If we go into a situation after a critical incident and people are hesitant to talk to Ed, they're not hesitant to pet the dog. And that usually opens up a lot of conversation. She was selected because she has a natural affinity to offer herself when people seem emotionally elevated. And then the trainer actually amplified those behaviors. So it really helps out. Is Cora like a sign to you or how does it work? Yeah, she lives with me. I take her to work with me. So primarily her main job is to be there for critical incidents, right? So when we have a post-critical incident stress debriefing, we'll bring the dog, let her interact as she sees fit. And she has really good instincts of she'll go and lay her head on someone's lap and things like that. So like I said, it just kind of lightens the mood a bit. And then whenever we have any type of one-on-one -on -one where someone comes in requesting help for whatever that is, she's there for that too. And then we also just take her around to different work sections during the workday and let her interact with the employees to try to improve mood. It's been difficult since the COVID with the restrictions, but we're excited to get back to work, I think, as things improve, hopefully soon. That's so beautiful. And so we've noticed that you've put a meditation room in the police department. Can you tell us about that? When I was working on my master's degree, 
all of the papers, all of the research that I did was focused into law enforcement and military and how to manage stress and mitigate the effects of trauma and manage PTSD and things like that. So I put a lot of research into that during my master's program. So when I took the position, that's where I say it was kind of the perfect storm where I was in the right place at the right time. I had just bundles of research on police stress. And what I found was teaching police officers and military how to manage stress, how to improve performance in stressful situations has had a lot of success. There's an organization called the HeartMath Institute in Boulder Creek, California. So when I took the position, I asked the administration, I said, you know, if I'm going to be in this position, what I would like to focus in on is resilience training. So I found a lot of research that also said that the way we've been approaching behavioral health in the law enforcement field may not be culturally appropriate, meaning we train for everything. So like before you make a traffic stop, you do 20 traffic stops. We step-by-step step learn how to work our tools, how to fire a firearm, how to talk on the radio. The one thing that we don't really train people for is how to manage stress. And so the idea is that the one thing I can guarantee is that police officers will face stress and trauma, yet that has very little attention in terms of training. So for a police culture, training is culturally appropriate, where it has in the past, instead of focusing on prevention during training, we wait till someone, we say a lot, their cup is full when they're at a point where they're experiencing behavioral health difficulties, then we send them to a professional after the fact. So it has had a tendency to isolate and maybe stigmatize within our industry. And so what we decided was to get out ahead of it. Let's teach people how to manage stress. Let's normalize behavioral health. Let's try to destigmatize behavioral health. And so that was the program that I found that had the most notable success with law enforcement and military. And so the administration agreed to send me to their organizational trainer class. And so in the process of doing that, I identified some open spaces and we developed a mindfulness meditation, quiet room, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I let police officers know that they can go there to practice their self-regulation techniques, or if they just need a safe place to be at the beginning or end of their shift, just a quiet place to be to decompress. That's what it was there for. Eventually, we ended up doing some small group meditation classes and teaching people self-regulation skills and things like that. And so where is it now? Are people meditating on a regular basis now or how does it work? Has it been integrated? You know, the interesting thing is the program is still in process of being developed. So we took on about a year ago, we started a really in-depth research project with, we developed a, a wellness committee of different employees from sworn police officers, patrol detectives, some of our professional staff, civilian employees from all different levels. And we conducted a really significant research program. And we did some inquiry into other police departments, military units, private industry. And we also did some internal surveys where we surveyed our employees and what wellness programs that they would like to see and which one they have used. And actually, believe it or not, the mindfulness room scored the highest on wellness programs that were being used at the police department. So I was really excited to see that. When we were talking before and we were getting to know you better, you did talk about how it was important for you to integrate the four aspects of a human being. Can you talk about that and how that's part of your programs? What does that mean? I integrate a lot of the things that I've learned in my own personal experience and a lot of the things that I've taken on that are a little bit esoteric for the average person, especially for the average first responder, the average police officer. 
I've tried to extract the principles of what I've learned and put it into a way that's attainable, that takes out a lot of the spiritual type of angle and just make it functional. What I realized is that as a human being, we operate with four main aspects. And the most obvious, of course, is our physicality, right? So we all have a height, a weight, a hair color, eye color, a skin tone. There's all these physical attributes that we can identify. And that becomes a part of us. In movement, in posture, the physicality is the most obvious part of a human being. But then we also have what you can look at as a thought body as well, or a mental body. So we all have thoughts. And there's still something very tangible, but they're less tangible than physicality. Like we're expressing thoughts right now. We're sharing thoughts. And so through our voice, through communication, we can express like I'm having a thought and then I can express it. And then you can receive that thought and kind of mull it over in your own mind. But it is less tangible than physicality. We can't take our thoughts and put it in a bucket or measure it or something like that. Right. But we're all aware that we have them. And then we can look at our emotional selves. So same thing. Now it's a little less tangible, a little more nebulous than thoughts. So we're all aware of our emotions. Like we all know what anger feels like, but it's less concrete and less tangible than a thought and far less concrete and tangible than our physicality. But yet we all have them. So I can't like take out my anger and say, look, I'm mad, right? And hold it up and I can't put it in a bucket. I can't weigh it. But we all know that we have them. So we have our physicality our mental body, our emotional body, and then our spiritual body. And so to avoid any type of conflict in talking with spiritual subjects or topics, what I say is your spiritual body is anything less tangible than thoughts or emotions. So it comes down to what we believe. And so anything that we can't prove, anything that we can't show to be true, or that is not common between all people, like everyone experiences anger or happiness, Anything that we have to talk about in terms of belief resides in that spiritual self. The interesting thing is that's what really drives everything else. So our beliefs are what drives our decision-making on a daily basis. So in order for our physicality, we can maximize our physical performance when we just look at physicality. So in order to improve performance from there, we also have to integrate thought management, emotional management, and then really align what our values are in terms of belief. So that that core set of principles or beliefs that you believe make you a valuable person. And so for me, it always comes down to that is core beliefs. How can we define those and integrate them into our lives to maximize our performance? And that's just not physical performance. That's performance as a human being, right? Like, how can I be a better father? How can I be a better friend, a better relative, a better servant of my community? My thoughts, my emotions, and my belief systems have to be in alignment with my physical actions on a daily basis. So what you're saying is that by doing this practice, you can be in touch then with what your purpose is, and then you're aligned with it. And then you're starting to create this life that you love, and you can live from this place. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And oftentimes, when we find ourselves in a position where we're not being fulfilled, people fail to identify a purpose, right? And then if we haven't identified it, it's hard to align those aspects of self towards that singular purpose. This is one of the things that I experienced in my own life where I think most police officers, at least, you know, anecdotally from my own experience, they reach this point in their career where they start questioning, is this what I really want to do? And that happened to me. You know, there was a point where it was the greatest job in the world. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And then there was a point where I was really questioning, do I want to do this? And I had to think in my mind, well, what changed? 
And what it forced me to do is go back to the day that I applied to be a police officer. I was like, well, why did you want to do this in the first place? And for me, it was to be in service of others. And I was like, okay, well, that's my purpose. That's my life's purpose. So as long as I stay in service of others, things seem to work out really, really well for me. And then so that allows me to align my thoughts, my emotions, and my belief systems, my core values around that singular purpose. Can you talk to us, Ed, a little bit about the importance of physically sensing with the body? I think as modern people, we're at a disadvantage because of technology in terms of how we sense ourselves as human beings. And so primitive people, I believe, were much more in touch with how they sense themselves and their environment. Whereas a lot of our attention, because of our senses point outward, so our eyes, our ears, our nose, everything points outwards, we have a tendency to focus into the outside world. And so when I work with folks, when I work with police officers or clients in behavioral health, oftentimes they're not even aware of what emotional state they're in or how it feels in their body. So the question will come up, well, what are you feeling? Well, I just feel all stressed out. Well, what does that mean to you? And the answer often is, oh, I just don't know. Like, I just feel stressed out. And then I have to dig a little deeper. How does that feel in your body? Where do you feel that stress? And to be able to turn people's attention inward or their awareness inward, we can start identifying feeling states. And that becomes the first step to trying to change that into a more optimal state, I guess we can say, right? Because there's times where we need to feel stress or anxiety. That's a necessary thing. And so I don't think the goal is to always be free of stress. But if we don't identify when those feelings are coming up, oftentimes now we're pegged out in the red and we don't even know how we got there. So we have to start first internally sensing, what am I feeling in my body right now? Am I feeling a sense of nervousness? If I am, if I'm starting to feel that in my body, now I can start my self-regulation techniques to start to mitigate the effects of that stress. So the idea is that you label that feeling as what you're feeling at that moment, recognizing that's not you, but rather it's a feeling that you're having. Is that right? Right. If you think about the body more as like, let's say an antenna. And it's giving you data all the time. Your body's constantly giving you data. Oftentimes, we try to diagnose our feelings or how we think about things or feel about things by our circumstances, right? Well, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And we neglect the power that we have in a situation to actually affect our environment. And so the first thing we have to do is listen to our body as an antenna, as a brain itself. I always tell folks that your body is the brain. So when it starts giving you data, we have to first recognize it, we have to identify it, and then we have to start diagnosing what that data is trying to tell us. And now we start using our self-regulation techniques in terms of breathing and imagery to be able to optimize our performance in that moment. Like, to be quite honest with you, you may find this funny, but I'm not a real people person. So this, for me, is very difficult. So in order for me to fulfill my purpose, I have to optimize my performance because things like this are nerve-wracking for me. Wow. So every day you are facing sort of your fears, right? And digging deep for that courage in a whole different way because as you say, you were SWAT team, you were Marine Corps, you were really brave in so many ways. And yet this is where you find your challenges, which is interesting. Because when you're doing this, you're probably feeling, and I'm looking at a list of words that state feelings of stress intense, and it would be words like anxious, burned out, depleted, exhausted, frazzled, overwhelmed, rattled. 
rejecting, restless, shaken, tight, weary, worn out again, that kind of idea. So in certain situations, I may feel that way and you may feel a completely different way, right? Yeah. So that's the funny thing is that stress, they've realized that there's two main types of stress. There's a positive stress they call eustress and the negative stress is distress. And it affects the body. So a negative distress will affect your performance. You start producing what people recognize as stress chemicals, so like cortisol, adrenaline. And with the overproduction of those types of chemicals in the wrong situation and without managing them, it can have a negative effect on your health. Whereas you stress, positive stress can be an invigorating feeling, right? A lot of athletes will feel that. Musicians, when you're performing at your best, you're still under stress, but yet the feeling is wonderful. And so the only thing that affects whether you're experiencing something as a positive stress or a negative stress is your perspective. So I'll give you an example. My first tour in the Marine Corps, I was with a reconnaissance unit. and We were an airborne unit, so we jumped out of airplanes. For some people, that is the most euphoric feeling in the world. For me, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrified. And it's the same event. It's the same exact circumstance. Yet, but for some people, it is the most euphoric feeling in the world and it becomes a hobby and they do it all the time. And then for all of us normal people, it's the most terrifying thing you'll ever do in your life. And so I think what we try to do, one of my principles when I work with folks is what has a huge impact on positive stress versus negative stress is competence. And so if you're really good at what you do, then you start experiencing more of those feelings that athletes call the flow state, where you optimize performance and you're feeling something as a positive stress. And that's why we're incorporating the heart map techniques into police work, where we can help push the physiology into that optimal performance zone. So we're experiencing things, we're making better decisions. What ends up happening is you access your prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain behind the forehead that's responsible for executive functioning you know, like good decision-making under pressure and working memory, reaction times, things like that. For our listeners who don't know what heart math is, can you just give us a little explanation? Heart Math Institute has been around for quite a while. I believe they say around 30 years. And what they've done is looking at just that, how to optimize performance. So I think a lot of people look at it in terms of stress management, but I think their vision is a little bit larger than just managing stress. So What they've found through research is that a lot of our perceptions on how the body works may not be exactly accurate. And so oftentimes in behavioral health, what we focus on is the brain. But if you can imagine that the brain is where things become conscious, that's where we become aware of them. But actually, a lot of what happens in our bodily functions starts with the signal that's produced with the heart. And so every time your heart beats, it sends an electromagnetic wave up to the brain and it hits the amygdala and the thalamus. And the thalamus is responsible for synchronizing the electronic activity of the brain. So it allows things to organize and cooperate in a way that optimizes your system. So your body, your thoughts, your emotions are operating in a way that they were intended to. But when we're in a high stress state or any type of negative emotional state, then the signal going from your heart to the brain when it hits the thalamus, when that signal is not in a coherent state, it'll actually inhibit cortical functioning. So it'll make it more difficult to access the prefrontal cortex. It has an effect on our decision making. It dysregulates our hormonal system, things like that. The techniques that they develop focus in on bringing the awareness to the heart, 
breathing in and out of the heart and then using imagery to change the feeling state or the mood or the emotional state, however you want to look at it, to optimize the signal that's going from the heart to the brain, which optimizes performance and functioning. And what you were saying earlier is that the police force is used to being trained. So people can be trained in this. And this is sort of what you're training people, this type of technique. Yeah, we're actually supposed to start the training department-wide. Unfortunately, because of the restrictions of COVID, it affected the way we were doing business. We were avoiding having lots of people in a confined space and whatnot. So as the restrictions lighten, we're going to go back to our original training schedule and we're going to teach our police officers, our communicators, so like dispatch radio, detention folks, and we're also going to offer it to any of our professional staff that wants to participate in the training. Will they do this during off hours or will they be able to do it during work? Oh, it'll be workday training. So we have a training schedule where we're involved with quarterly training. So each quarter we address a different topic, whether it's firearms or defensive tactics or, you know, any type of decision making. Now, my vision is that we incorporate it into all of our different training topics. So as we learn these self-regulation tools, we can incorporate them into our firearms qualifications, into our high-risk driving, things like that, where we need to optimize our performance. And you also told us that through these training, you want to change the culture of the police force. And then ultimately, you're changing the culture of the community. Reflecting back onto my early career, the things that we're talking about now, when they were discussed, they were discussed in a negative light. Back then, people who needed help in terms of mental health support were looked at as having a weakness. And so that's really the culture that we're trying to change and recognizing that when people need help, that being able to reset and navigate the rest of their career in a healthy way is, you know, it's what we owe our first responders. I have a question for you, Ed. You've chosen this life of service and you're taking care of everyone else. How do you take care of you, mind, body, and spirit? So I've been an avid martial artist since I was a kid. And probably about the past 15 or 16 years, I've really delved deeply into a study of martial arts that it's hard to describe it as martial arts. It's a study of self. It's an intricate study of the human being and how the human being fits into its environment. For me, it's become how I manage myself. And I've really put a lot into self-awareness, a lot into focusing into sensing with my body. And I really have a daily practice of doing that martial art. And so that's become the way that I kind of move through this world. What it teaches you eventually is how your actions, how your thoughts, and how your emotions interact with your environment. And it's unique in that it's a value-driven martial art. Our core values are humility, sincerity, and perseverance. The way we identify these becomes very important. So for us, humility, it may be a little different than the way some people define that. And so for us, that's not kowtowing to others and saying, you know, I'm being humble. It's for us recognizing we're part of a larger system. And when we interact within those systems, we have to be aware of the dynamics of that. And so we practice that through martial application, that once we engage with someone, we're part of a system. And then we look at sincerity. And for us, a lot of people think about that in terms of telling the truth. But for us, it's communicating from our heart center to the heart center of someone else. I always tell people you can't argue with sincerity. You're either being sincere or you're not. And people know it. And where do you know it? In your heart. 
everything that we communicate has to come from the heart to someone else's heart, even in martial application. And the last thing that we talk about is perseverance. So for us, perseverance isn't just you got to keep showing up. It's being able to maintain your form or maintain your frame in the face of pressure. So again, like I say, I'm not a real people person. I don't like being out in front speaking, but I know in order for me to message, it has to come from the heart and I have to maintain my frame. And so if I can recognize that I'm part of a system and if I can communicate from my heart center to someone else's heart center and I can persevere through stress and pressure, now I can operate as a fully integrated human being. And then that's how we develop integrity. And so we practice that through our martial application. And so when we see a technique that fails, we can diagnose how it failed through our values. Ed, thank you so much for spending this time with Doro and me and our listeners. It has been just so informative, so inspirational. So thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Yes. And I also wanted to mention the day that we're recording this podcast is the birthday of the United States Marine Corps. And so I wanted to thank you and all the other Marines for their service to our country. Well, thank you. And I'd like to say happy birthday, Marines. Semper Fi. It was great to be with you both. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. To learn more on how to live a co-mindfulness life, visit comindfulnessproject.com.